Am I on? Am I, there we are. Now I'm on. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Nice and calm, right? Ready to receive the word that the Lord has for you, right? Just all right. Um, I'm going to just be sharing a little bit with you my story of finding community and learning how to do life together with um, other believers. And so I'm going to kind of weave my story through the message that God gave me for today and hope that it blesses you. So I just want you to kind of hang tight because I am going to be talking about some different things as we go through, but just hang in there. All right. God's got a good word this morning. Okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. So I was 20 years old, not now, but a long time ago, I was 20 years old and my entire world had come to a complete uh, collapse. The guy that I had been dating since I was 16 years old was standing in front of me and he said to me, I wish I still loved you, Megan, and I'm done. And he walked out, and so did everything in my life. My dreams, my goals, my ambitions, my interests, everything was entangled and enmeshed in this one person. I literally did not have a single friend outside of this person. He had become my world. All of my friends were his friends. Everything I did was connected to him. And so when he was out of my life, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't have community. I was completely alone, and I was completely lost. By God's grace, I absolutely love coffee, and I found myself working at a Christian coffee shop. And so I was working one night, and this crowd, like this herd of people just came in one night. And it was a college-age Bible study, and they had just finished meeting. And so I was serving all of them, and uh, one of them said, hey, why don't you come to Bible study? We meet every Tuesday, and why don't you come? And I was like, okay, Um, because by God's grace, I am a people person. I can talk to anybody, anywhere, ask my husband. Uh, I, I don't really have any fear, uh, and I'm just like, I have no problem connecting with people. And so, sure enough, the next week, I was there on Tuesday, ready. Like, here I am. I'm ready to connect with people. I'm ready to build some friends and get my life started because I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I'm hopeful that this is going to be like a catalyst for me to be able to experience a good life as I'm restarting my life. Over the next 10 years, I spent figuring out that Christian community is really messy. It can be really hard. It can be really complicated. It can be scary and overwhelming. It can be so joyous and exhilarating and just this wonderful embrace where you're like, yes, this is how life is supposed to be. And it can also be so soul-crushingly hurtful. 
But here's the reality that I want us to realize is that in the scope of life, in the scope of what's happening in our society and in our culture and our world, we are meant to do life together. I want us to look at this chunk of scripture, and it's going to kind of be our guide as we talk this morning. And it's Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It's on the screen. It's also in the YouVersion app. And it is in the old-fashioned, tangible book of the Bible, too. So you have lots of options to look at it this morning. All right. So they, this is talking about the early church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And all the extroverts were like, yes, that's what I want my life to look like. I want that. And all the introverts are running and hiding and cringing. You're all like, that sounds great for you, not for me, right? So um, here's where we're at. We're going to talk here about devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship first. All right, so in your Bibles, whichever your preferred method is, if you could open up to Genesis 2. As usual, when I'm spending time with you, we're ending back in Genesis, the first one of the first three chapters, right? And one thing that I want you to remember is that if we don't believe the first three chapters of Genesis, we're going to have a very difficult time believing the rest of the Bible. There is a reason that God wanted us to know these things first off, okay? Um, In my studies of the first three chapters of Genesis and also my experience of being a counselor, I have found that every single issue we struggle with in humankind stems from Genesis 1, 2, or 3. We can find the root of it there. So, as Pastor Richie talked about last week, about reading our Bible and having a Bible plan, if that's what works for you, if that pops up on your Bible plan, the first three chapters of Genesis, please don't glaze over it. Don't be like, oh, I've read it. Oh, I know it. Oh, it's fine. I don't need to read that part. Please read it and study it. All right, so here I am. I'm going to be hanging out in Genesis 2.18. I know, it's just one verse. But I'm going to be breaking it down, and I am going to be getting a little bit technical here to break down some of these words because I feel that the Lord wants to give us a fresh revelation this morning about um, what he has to say about doing life together. So to give you some context before we break down some of these words in this verse is we are in the midst of creation, right? The fall has not happened yet. God has created Adam, and he has placed Adam in the garden. He has said, Adam, it's your job to take care of the garden, to tend to it, to cultivate it. 
And he has also given Adam the instruction of you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it is then that God makes this statement. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Um, and so if we keep reading, we basically see that God makes all of creation, all the animals, all the birds, all that stuff, and he brings them to Adam, and Adam gives them a name. And we find that there was not a helper suitable for him, which leads to the creation of Eve. So I've heard many times this message taught, or this verse related to in context of marriage between husband and wife. But I'm encouraging you to think about this kind of on a bigger picture about doing life together and community. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to look at is that it was God who said, it is not good for man to be alone. Adam didn't say it. Adam didn't come up and wasn't like, hey, God, I got an idea. How about I not be alone? What do you think? Yeah, maybe? It was God who said, it is not good for man to be alone. Because Adam had a relationship with God, he was able to do something about Adam being alone. And so I wanted to look at what, as a counselor, I think about, okay, well, why? Why did God say it's not good? What is not good about being alone? So I looked up what the word alone means in the Hebrew. And interestingly enough, the word for alone in Hebrew is bad. No, like literally, it's B-A-D, and it's pronounced bad. And I was like, huh. Well, that says it all right there. There can't be anything more, right? Well, there is. And so the definition of this word means by itself, apart, separation, and it also means separated from the root. And so we know that in John 15, Jesus tells us that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I pushed the wrong button. If we want fruit in our lives, we have to abide in him, in him being Jesus. So how do we abide in Jesus? How do we have a relationship with our creator? Well, This is done by devoting ourselves to studying his word and his teachings and other things that we're going to be talking in this series of spiritual disciplines. But today I want to focus 
that one of the ways that we have a relationship with our creator is by doing life together. So when we look at the early church and what it said in Acts, they mentioned fellowship. And the word for fellowship in Greek is koinonia, which is one of the core values here at Living Grace. And this this concept of koinonia is is a very deep intimacy. Okay? It actually the definition of it relates to intercourse. Now, I don't want anybody to take that out of context, okay? <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my pseudo joke. <laughs> um, but I want us to be able to comprehend that it's that kind of intimacy. It's that kind of depth where we are fully known by somebody, right? That person or that group of people has seen you cry. They've seen you be sad about things that are happening in your life. They've seen you be excited about things in your life. They've seen you be disappointed They've seen you go through difficult times, and it's been this genuine connection of I know you. Because that is actually the deepest cry of our soul, is that the yearning we have is to be known. I work outside of the home, and lately I've been working a lot, and so one of the things that my kids will say when I am home is they'll say, Mom, watch. Mom, watch me do this, or Mom, look at me. And what they're saying is, do you see me? Do you know me? That desire is so strong and it continues throughout our lives. One thing that was apparent about this Bible study that I got plugged into is that we had such a strong desire for Jesus. We wanted to know him. We wanted to know his will for our life. We were just on fire and just had this desire to know Jesus more. But despite this desire, we had very little discipleship. We had very little mentoring or guidance from older and wiser believers. We didn't have somebody that was overseeing our group. We represented a whole bunch of different churches, um, cultural backgrounds, and even belief systems. We did things and events really well. We hung out. We did service projects. We went on mission trips. We had weekly Bible studies where we were sharing. But we didn't have somebody to teach us how to connect to each other and to connect with God in a true, healthy, deep way. We lacked koinonia. And things got messy. We'll get to that in a little bit. But now we're going to talk about the breaking of bread. Because we're all getting ready for lunch, right? Brene Brown tells a story in her book, Braving the Wilderness, about a village of women who would go to the river and they would wash their clothes every week. They would all go together on the same day and they would spend that time washing their clothes. And so when things and technology and fortunes changed and they all started getting washing machines, they stopped going to the river. And the depression rates rose in the village between or among the women. And no one could really figure out why. You see, it wasn't the technology of having a washing machine that was at fault. 
but it was rather this sense of isolation that the women felt because they were no longer connecting to each other. Anxiety and depression typically go hand in hand, and we are seeing that full force right this second. If I were to ask each and every one of you, how are you doing, and you were to give me a genuine, real response, a lot of you would probably say, I'm scared, I'm sad, I don't know what to do, and I'm really kind of freaking out right now. Okay? I'm going to give you some stats here, and keep in mind that these stats are, were taken a while ago, so this is not including kind of the climate of what's happening right now in our world, okay? And this is for America alone. So the National Institute of Mental Health states that in a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, phobias, or other anxiety symptoms, which include racing thoughts, increased heart beat, sleepless nights, stomach pain, digestive issues, pain and tension in their bodies, and changes in eating habits, which can mean eating more than usual or you're not eating at all. Anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem among women and are second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. Between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications such as Xanax, Valium, Clonopin, and any other drug that is ending in the letters P-A-M. And the psychologist Robert... Where's Pete? He was helping me out with his last name. Thank you. I cannot say it for the life of me. Sorry, my tongue doesn't work that way. Um, Points out that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average adult psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And that when they say psychiatric patient, they mean actually hospitalized and institutionalized. Aren't you glad that you came this morning? (laughs) We are realizing in our modern world that as we increase technology and we advance with technology in our lives, depression and anxiety also rise. Some other stats is that smartphones were introduced in 2007, and by 2015, 92% of teens and young adults owned one. The rise of depressive symptoms correlated with smartphone adoption during that period. Visits on college campuses by students seeking assistance for depression and anxiety jumped 30% between 2010 and 2015. All right. And with technology comes social media. That's how we connect to each other, right? We're friends on Instagram, we're friends on Facebook, we're friends on, I don't even know the other apps out there. That's, I'm getting old, guys. I don't even know what they are. Yeah, see? Kobe can tell us. <laughs> but there's a lot of apps out there, right? There's a lot of ways that we're supposed to be able to connect with each other. But we're not really connecting. And because of this technology and because of social media, 
it can fuel that anxiety and it can fuel that fear. And it also contributes to this perfectionistic mindset. This idea that if I can't handle life, if I'm not showing the entire world that everything's fine, that everything's perfect, then where's my worth at? Am I capable? Probably not. Am I worthy? Definitely not. So I'm just going to tell everybody that everything's fine. And really quickly, these thought processes can get sped up in our minds and it contributes to this tornado of anxiety and depression and feeling isolated and alone. We start to lack trusting other people and their ability to hurt us. And we begin to think that if I tell somebody that I need help, if I reach out, if I'm honest about what's really going on in my life and what I need prayer for or what I need tangible assistance for, I'm going to be a burden. And I don't want to be a burden on anybody, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. And the reality through all of that is that we are more isolated than we have ever been, despite the ability to connect with each other in the greatest way possible. A part of koinonia, or a part of having fellowship with people, is breaking bread together. And all the chubby people were like, yes! Cheesecake galore, right? Yeah! Right? Woo! But I want you to think about what it actually means to break bread with somebody. Sitting across the table from somebody and looking in their eyes. Not at your phone, but looking directly at them. Asking them, how are you? And even saying, I don't want the surface answer. I want the real answer. How are you doing in your new job? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in this season of transition? How are you doing as a mom? How are you doing as now transitioning to empty nest? How are you doing? It's inviting people in to our homes. right? I don't want people seeing my house. It's not Instagram worthy right now, right? I don't have the cute farmhouse wreath hanging above my couch. You can't come over. That's literally how we think. I decided a long time ago that when we have get-togethers, I mean, like, I'll pick up the laundry and, like, you know, toys so that you don't die and trip on your face when you come in. But, like, I, I do not stress about dusting. I don't stress about mopping my floor if there's dishes in the sink. Because I just, I want people to see the real me. I want people to see that this is how I live. I want to be genuine through and through, right? So if you come in, I want you to see how I'm going to interact with my husband or interact with my kids. I don't want to kind of put on this show or this front, Breaking bread with somebody and inviting them into your home is actually very intimate and it's very intentional in what we're doing. 
One example that I can give you of breaking bread uh, with my college Bible study is at the age of 23, I had to have emergency neck surgery. Uh, I was hit by a drunk driver when I was 18, and I had a herniated disc, and that disc had shifted so much that it was pressing on my spinal cord, and they had to do an emergency surgery because I was lo- I had lost all feeling in my left my left arm. I couldn't move it. I couldn't do anything, and so it was a pretty rapid decline, and so they rushed me into surgery. But one thing that sticks out to me is that right before my surgery, I had so many people in the room praying for me and for the surgeons that the actual doctors and nurses couldn't get in to see me. And there are some people here in this room today that were praying for me from afar and that were actually in that room. And I credit you and your prayers and God's grace that I had a successful surgery and that I had a full recovery. So thank you for that. And among those people were a lot of people from my college Bible study. I remember that afterwards, I had so many people bringing us meals so that my grandma didn't have to worry about cooking or doing anything like that. She could just focus on helping me recover. And especially right now in the climate that we are living in and everything that's going on, please do not discredit the value of bringing a meal to somebody that is in need. That is a real, tangible, powerful way to show koinia to somebody, even if you're just dropping the meal off. And I would challenge you and encourage you, please don't door dash it. Do not grub hub it. Take the time to actually get the meal, whether it's picked up or you make it yourself, and drop it off to that person that's in need. When we have communion with God, when we abide in him, we produce fruit. And that fruit is meant to be picked. It's meant to be harvested. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be nourishing to other people. If we don't pick it, it gets wasted and it rots. Jumping back to Genesis 2.18, we're going to talk about that word good. So we talked about the word alone and what that represented, right? So it's not good to be alone. So if it's not good, then what do we experience when we are together with somebody, when we are together in community? And so one of those things is benefit. That word for good equals a benefit. So there's an advantage or there's a profit. There's something gained. There it goes. Um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, but here's the reality, is that to get sharp, we have to get close. And how do we get close to one another? We got to share our story. We got to be open and honest. This isn't necessarily about a physical touch, but this is about us being able to say, hey, here's what I've gone through. Here's what I've experienced in life. Here's what I am going through currently. That's why our, our testimonies are so powerful. That's why sharing our testimony is so powerful. I had such a strong desire to connect with the people in my college Bible study. Like it was just this extrovert's desire of my soul. Like I just want to be connected to these people. 
But the reality was is that every time I tried to connect with them on a deeper level by seeking prayer or asking for prayer or giving counsel or um, trying to point them back to Jesus, giving advice, anything like that, I was told that I was judgmental. I was told that I was harsh, that I was unloving, I was unchristian, and something else that I wrote down, but I turned the page. Um, unfriendly, that was it. And for this extroverted counselor, that was like an attack directly on my soul. But here's what I did is I kept coming back. I kept coming back to this group of people because I was like, I, I know them. I know that they're good people, and I'm gonna, at some point I'm going to connect with them. I wanted to do life together with somebody so bad that I ended up getting into this mindset of I'm willing to sacrifice who I am in an attempt to fit the mold that they wanted me in so that I could connect to them. Another aspect of the word good is welfare. And so I have the definition there because in, when we say welfare today, we might have a different viewpoint of what that means. And so in this context, it means the health, happiness, and fortunes of a person or group. And so when we're li- living in community and we're doing koinia together and we have this fellowship, we're able to have cheerleaders, right? We're able to say, Yes, I'm so excited that you got that job promotion. I'm so excited you got a new house. I'm excited that you, your kids are doing great. Everything's wonderful and we're cheering for you. Yes, go forward in the plans and purposes God has for you. And they're able to be there for you when it's like, oh, you're going through such a hard time right now. What can we do? Can I watch your kids? Can I bring you a meal? Can I serve you in some way? So we're able to receive that and we're able to give that in true koinia. I remember trying to squeeze myself into this mold that these people seemed to request of me. And I got to the point where I was keeping my mouth shut even if I felt like the Lord was telling me to open it. I was training myself and showing support to just not say anything that could rock the boat. Even if as a Christian and a counselor, I knew if they do that, they're going to get hurt. But any time that I would say something, I would immediately get accused. But I thought, I thought, this is it. This is what community looks like, and I'm just going to try to fit into this mold And then it happened for me. I got uh, chosen to be a speaker at a local women's conference, and it was my very first, like, oh, my gosh, maybe God does have a calling on my life for me to be a speaker, and and maybe maybe I am going to, you know, walk in this plan and purpose that he has for me. There's tissues up here because I'm going to get emotional. The first service, I totally wasn't expecting it, and I got all snotty, so... We're going to try and prevent that from happening because tears are okay, snot is not when you're teaching, okay? But um, I was so excited because I was like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I am actually hearing from God and maybe this is what he wants me to do with my life. Oh my gosh, 
Snot is not okay. <laughs> um, and I invited all of them. And I was like, please come. I want you to support me. This is so important to me. And not one of them came. And I remember just before I was about to go on stage looking at the crowd and just hoping that maybe I would have a friend out there. And then when I finally had the courage to have that conversation with one of the people, and I said, I was really hurt that you weren't there. That was something that was so important to me. And she said to me, you're not our person. And we don't want that kind of relationship with you. And I realized that in that moment, I'm in the exact same place I was when I met this group of people. I'm alone and I'm lost and I don't have a single friend. (laughs) Because all of my friendships were connected to this group of people. And then I started to think, maybe it's me. Maybe there's something so drastically wrong with me that I can't connect with people. Maybe you feel that way or have felt that way. I think maybe a lot of us right now are feeling that way because of the climate. Maybe we want to connect with people, but we feel like we can't because there's so much fear and anxiety right now. But let me tell you this, is that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. He wants us to be in a place where we feel alone and isolated and like we're missing out. Because when we are isolated, the enemy can tempt us. And when we get tempted, he can pull us away from Jesus. One thing, oh my gosh, snot is not okay, Megan. (laughs) Sorry, excuse me. One thing that I want you to know, um, and I feel like the Lord wanted us to say even more so today because of the climate that we are in and what we're experiencing in our culture and in our society and in the world, is that doing life together is actually a protection There is a specific reason that the Lord said it is not good for us to be alone. When we are in community, in genuine community, we're supporting one another. We're encouraging one another. We're having hard conversations. We're pointing people back to Jesus. We're confronting one another. We're enjoying life together. We're laughing, maybe laughing at each other sometimes. Hey, Megan, remember that time you snotted all over the stage? Good times, good times. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right. Um, There's so much anxiety right now because of the coronavirus. So how does this relate to where we're at? I literally have, I have no words about the state of what's happening in our country and in the world right now. I asked my grandmother, who's 80, 
and she lived through World War II and the Korean War and Vietnam War and the Cold War and every war of the 20th century. <laughs> really difficult times. She grew up in, grew up during the Depression and all that stuff. And I asked her, I said, have you ever seen anything like this? Like, I was hoping she'd be like, yeah, you know, like, back then this happened, and she'd be able to, like, give me some wisdom, give me some comfort, something where I'm like, okay, it's, we're going to be okay, right? And she said, I've never seen anything like this, Megan. There are so many people in this room, others at home, and all over the globe that are being affected, whether it's by the actual illness itself or the ripple effect of what it's doing to our economy, to our jobs, all of that stuff. The fear is real. And so here's what I want us to think about is that us, Living Grace, our church family, let's be all doing all that we can to protect our homes, Right? Let's wash our hands regularly. And then let's go wash some people's feet. Let's go and serve. Where can you meet a need right now? I know a whole bunch of families personally that I could, I could go and do something for them because they're being affected right now by what's happening I could make them a meal. I could buy them a cup of coffee. Maybe I can cover a monthly bill for them. Maybe I could just sit down with them and and listen as they share what's going on. We need to be out there washing each other's feet figuratively and serving. And we figure that out by prayer. We see that the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So going back to my story of how I found healthy Christian community is that even though nobody from my college Bible study that I was close to at the time showed up to support me at something that was important, there was people that did show up that I had known them, but I wasn't, I wasn't close with them and I didn't even know that they were coming. And I remember seeing them and just this sense of like, Oh my gosh, like I, you aren't even close to me and you're here supporting me. How beautiful is that? And I, we, or I, I say it in my head. I'm like, that's the day the tribe was born. I started praying because I realized I'm not in a good place with the people that I'm connected with, and I need to to find my tribe of people. That group has their tribe of people, and they're okay with with where they're at, but I need to find my tribe of people that I can have koinia with. And so I started praying, and God has blessed me with a wonderful tribe um, of people. (laughs) Yes. And that is definitely an answered prayer. And so today is a national day of prayer as proclaimed by President Trump because of what's going on. And so if I could have Pete come up, he's going to 
play just some instrumental music in the background. And I just have some points of prayer because prayer works. And so we're going to push our comfort zones a little bit today. And we're going to have some prayer points of what we're praying for, for our church and for our community and the climate of what's happening outside these doors. And so I'm going to ask you to do real koinia with me. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. And if any of these prayer points, if that's where you're at right now, I want you to be brave. I want you to be vulnerable. And I want you to be honest. And I want you to let us know that you need prayer for those things. And you can do that by raising your hand or you can do it by standing up. And I encourage that for if somebody around you stands up or raises their hands for one of these prayer points, that you would extend your hand to them and be praying. If you feel led, I want you to go up to them and ask them, can I be praying for you? And how can I be praying for you? I want us to be able to experience what Koinia looks like. And I know it's scary. I get it. I totally get it. But we're going to take a step of faith and we're going to try it. So here's the first thing we're going to pray for is that if you have anxiety, if you're having fear because of the coronavirus, whether it's because you're scared that the illness would have a drastic impact on your health or whether it's because you're feeling the ripple effects of what's happening in our society and in our culture and our economy, I want you to raise your hand and just let us know, hey, that's me. That's where I'm at so that we can be praying for you. And so, Father, we just lift this up to you, Lord. Lord, as our worship song said, this morning, you are victorious. You are over it all. You are the one who is in charge, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that your hand would be on our church, on our individual families, on our society, and on the world, Father God. We pray, Lord, that we would remember that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you see us and that you know us, and that you're going to protect us, Lord. You're going to take care of it, Father God. I pray for wisdom so that each of us knows how to handle it, Lord. Let us not walk out into this naive. Let us be open to your wisdom and what we need to be doing to protect ourselves. But remind us that ultimately you have us in your hand, Father God, and that you see us, you are going to provide for us, whether it's financially, whether it's medical care, whether it's a community of people to support us during a difficult time, you are going to be there for us, Lord. Remind us that fear does not come from you. And when that revs up in our spirit, that you would calm us down as we would be coming to you in prayer, Lord. And if you are in the place of talking about abiding with Jesus and having a relationship with him and you're like I don't even know what that looks like Megan but I want it I want to be able to connect with my creator I want to be able to say that I can have koinonia with the person who knows me and has made me maybe you've never accepted Jesus before but maybe today the Lord is poking your heart and he's saying hey that's you 
And so if you're in a place where you're ready to receive Jesus' sacrifice for you, and you're ready to accept the love that God has for you, and you're ready to start abiding in him, raise your hand. And Lord, we pray for the people that maybe they do know you, but they are not walking with you. They are not studying your word, and they're just kind of coasting along, and you've been calling to them. If that's you, I pray that you would just raise your hand and acknowledge that you want to come back to the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you are you are the lover of our souls, Father God, and your call to us is good. And so if anybody is receiving or feeling that call and poke in their hearts, Lord, we pray that they would be able to acknowledge that it's you. That they would be able to say, yep, I got to walk with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the people that are acknowledging that. If you need prayer because you're like, Megan, that's that's all good. I want koinia, but you don't understand the pain that I've experienced from people. And I've been hurt real bad, and I don't even want to dream about connecting with somebody. If that's you, I pray that you would raise your hand so we can be praying for you. I love the words of Mother Teresa where she says, People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. Lord, I pray that you would help us that if we do have pain, if we have been hurt, that you would help us to forgive and you would help us to move forward so that we can be vulnerable and we can have koinia with people. If you need prayer because you've been isolated, maybe right now you're being tempted and there's been havoc happening in your life and you're just like, I, this is out of control. I don't even know where how I got here. God sees you and God loves you. There's nothing that you can do that will change his love for you. And so if you are isolated, I just pray for you to just acknowledge that and be able to say, yep, that's me. And with that prayer, we're also praying that you would be able to find a group of people that you can experience koinia with. People that will embrace you, that they will love you, and that they will have a desire to get to know you so that you are known. Awesome Father, I thank you for the koinia we have been able to experience this morning. Thank you for your word that shows us why you want us to be in community and not alone. May we continue to practice this discipline. If we're not in a small group or a light group, Lord, I pray that you would direct us to join one so that we can experience koinia, maybe for the first time. Lord, I pray that your hand would be on each of us as we go out this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would speak loudly and boldly to us so that we can be so loving and serving to other people in our community. Remind us to wash our hands and show us how you want us to wash people's feet, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.